Today we're going to continue on in the book of John. All right, y'all are with me. Good. Um, this is, okay, my favorite book. Of course it is. But these, these, uh, <laughs> these passages that we're going to be talking about today just speak for themselves. I really don't have to, to tear them down a whole lot, really, because like God does so often, he's just very clear in what he says. And uh, kind of reminded me, we had lunch with Trey this week at uh, Trace Camino's. And sometimes you get the chete, you know, the beef cheek burrito, whatever. And I, I got a chicken burrito, which you don't go there and get a chicken burrito. But I got, I got a chicken burrito. And uh, so I was like, man, this thing's pretty good. This chicken burrito is pretty good. And Trey's like, yeah, it tastes like chicken. I'm like, yeah, obviously. And the scripture's the same way. It's not let, it's just a uh, shallow thing. But just take it at his word. Chicken tastes like chicken. God's saying what he's saying. And all we need to do is just listen to what he says. Um, so we'll, we'll dive in. We're going to start in uh, verse 11 today. But I do want to just start with a word of prayer and before we just read through verse 11. Oh, and I forgot my glasses upstairs, so if you see me with some nice, pretty glasses, these are Miss Tanya's, but I don't care. They work because I can't read without them, so thank you. How they look? All right, let me just open this up in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may your word rest upon our hearts and our minds and change us to be just a little bit more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 10, starting in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them I must also bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Therefore my Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from my Father. Verse 19, therefore there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? These are some great verses. And like I said, it's just right on the surface where we are. And it talks a lot about Jesus being the good shepherd. And we did mention that last week. And as sheep, he is the good shepherd of the sheep. And sheep are mentioned over 500 times in the Bible. 500 times. They've mentioned an awful lot. And you probably know this, but sheep actually need a lot of protection. Let me just read verse 11 and 12 again and kind of dive into that just a little bit. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Not a good shepherd. The good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. Sheep need protection. Sheep will get lost. Sheep will get injured. Sheep will get eaten by wolves. They'll become parched if the shepherd doesn't lead them to water. And sheep basically have no sense of self-direction or self-governance at all, really. And I was looking through some stuff on sheep online, and I found this Fox News report, January 13, 2015 headline, 450 Turkish sheep leaped to their death. So apparently one sheep went over the edge, and then, quote from the report, then stunned Turkish shepherds who had left their herd to graze while they had breakfast watched as nearly 1,500 others followed, 
each leaping off the same cliff, Turkish media reported. So in the end, there was 450 dead sheep, 1,500 total jumped. The 450 that jumped first made a nice fluffy pillow for the rest of them to land on, and they lived. But all 1,500 of them, and one sheep went off, and they thought, it's, I guess it's kind of impossible to know exactly what a, a sheep is thinking, but they figured that this sheep was on the edge of this 45-foot cliff and saw the other side and was like, well, we need to be over there, and just went. And like I said, sheep really need some governance. They don't self-govern very well. And so as I was looking through this report, I saw there were other news outlets that reported 400 sheep had died, one of them said 50 sheep had died, one of them said 200 sheep had died, and I thought, man, that's kind of a variation of numbers, and I looked at them, and it turns out they were all separate reports of separate incidences where sheep had just gone off a cliff. And so there was one from, uh, let's see, Daily News out of New York reported on 52 jumped from a cliff in November of 2019, BBC recorded 400 sheep fell off a cliff in Turkey in July 2005. The Daily Sabah, which I don't read every day, it's out of Istanbul, reported on 200 deaths by a similar event in August of 2018. So apparently it's a thing. You know, it doesn't maybe happen every day, but sheep need to be led. If you're a sheep and the shepherd wanders off to go get breakfast and you're left on the edge of a precipice, you might just be dumb enough to go off. That's what sheep are. And there's a lot of mention of sheep in the Bible. I mentioned there's over 500 times sheep are mentioned in the Bible. And we are described as sheep a lot, a whole lot. And that, that's not to say that God just thinks we're stupid, worthless animals. That's not the point at all. The point is, he is the good shepherd, and we are his sheep. If we don't follow him, know his voice, know which direction to go, we're going to get in big trouble. Sheep can even go off and wander off on their own and become a cast sheep. I don't know if you've ever heard of what a cast sheep is. I know a lot of people have, but what a cast sheep is, is it's a sheep that just kind of wanders off because, once again, they have no real self-governance, and they get to like a nice little comfortable spot, maybe a little dip in the ground, and they kind of lay down in it, and as they kind of squirm around and get really comfortable, they wind up on their back, and their feet are sticking up in the air, and they're done. They can't get up, so they're there just, I can't move. There's nothing they can do, and they'll lay there, and they're just easy prey for wolves, or even with their intestinal system, Gases will build up, and they'll get bloated, and they'll perish just from laying down and getting in a comfortable spot. And they'll just get so comfortable, then they just can't get up. The only thing that will help them at that point is if the shepherd comes by and pulls them up. And we can do that, too, in our lives. We can get very comfortable in a situation, not being led by the shepherd, and get really comfortable in the spot, and we can become cash sheep as well. It's happened in my life once or twice. I hope it never happens again. But it's very easy. So the Bible does say we're sheep. It makes that analogy, like I said, a lot. But sheep are also very valuable. Sheep are also very loyal. God sees us as a very valuable people. He loves us. And we'll get into that a little bit further in the, in the scripture here, how much he does love us. And it's not to say he calls us sheep because we're just stupid. It's because we need him. It's a really good picture of an animal that left to its own devices will perish. Us, left to our own devices, we will perish unless we hear the shepherd and we follow the shepherd and go where he's leading. So once again, very, very simple, simple picture. And yes, we are sheep. We need a shepherd. Because we're actually really not able to really effectively self-govern. You know, we think we can sometimes, and then we do it our way, and we get our results every time. All right, let me just do a quick demonstration. Um, 
So maybe all uncomfortable. Do it at home too, if you can. Just everybody close your eyes. I'm going to have someone come up here and talk. Just close your eyes. Everybody? That means you too. Close your eyes. And I'm going to have someone talk. And what I want you to do with your eyes closed, I want you to see if you can recognize who this person is. And I think we have a microphone that works here. So still with your eyes closed, who is this? My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength and the portion of my heart forever. Psalm 73, 26. Does anybody know who that is? That's Miss Kristen. But your eyes were closed. How did you figure that one out? That was pretty good. I'm going to do this uh, one other person here real quick. Everybody close your eyes again real quick. And yes, I know, I'm a youth minister, so we're going to play fun games. So another person is going to come up. I want you to listen to this wonderful individual and see if you can determine who this person is. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Somebody said Derek. I heard Derek. Yes. Yes, exactly right. Y'all are sharp. One more. One more. Indulge me. One more. Everybody close your eyes. Close your eyes. Another person is going to come up. See if you can recognize who this person is. Person may be slightly nervous. That's okay. I will tell you what to say. Just say hello, everyone. How are you doing? Hello. How is everyone doing? Who knows who that is? Well, you're looking. You got your eyes open. <laughs> Did everybody know that was Lydia, or are there some people that maybe didn't know that was Lydia? Some people didn't know. You didn't know. Thank you so much, Lydia. That was awesome. If you didn't know it was Lydia, why would that be? You know her voice. You hear her talk all the time. She's your sister. You probably wish she didn't talk as much as she does. I don't know. Don't answer that question. Who knew that was Miss Kristen? Raise your hand. Okay, vast majority of people. Who knew that was Mr. Derek? And who knew that was Lydia? All right, the people. So the people that knew it was Lydia was because you recognize her voice. How did you recognize her voice? Why is that? You spent time with her. You've heard her talk before, so you knew who it was. Those of you that didn't know it was Lydia, obviously you probably haven't heard her talk much or at all. Maybe. So if a stranger comes walking in and starts talking, you wouldn't be expected to know that that's that person. That's pretty obvious. Well, if you look at what Jesus says in verse, where was I? I just lost my place. Verse 13. We'll just go back to verse 13 here. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. And am known by my own. If you are his, you know him. If you are his, you recognize his voice. And the way you recognize his voice is the same exact way you recognize Mr. Greg. Uh, I call you Mr. Greg, Derek. Good gracious. Too many Derek's around here. Derek Swarth out. And Miss Kristen. Because you've heard them before. Pretty much every Sunday, one of them is speaking or singing. You need to sing more. No. Because if you get used to hearing them speak... You can attribute that sound, that voice, to that person. Likewise, with Jesus, it's no different, and that's exactly what he's saying. I know my own, and they know me, because they hear my voice. So how do you get to hear Jesus' voice? What is a way to hear Jesus' voice? Anybody? Thank you, the Bible. Wow, that's a good one, because that is his word. If we listen to his word, we recognize him. There are many imitations out there, and if you don't have the discernment to know which is Jesus and which is not, you can get yourself in real trouble, just like a sheep. Jump falls off a cliff, and the other ones follow that one in turn, and many of them died because they're following the wrong thing. They're not following what they should be following, where Jesus makes it very clear. You'll know my voice. If you spend time with me, if you're in relationship with me, and I come up to the microphone and speak, you'll say, oh, that's Jesus. 
I recognize those words. I've read those words before. And that is a key example of why it's so important that we're in his word. And that discernment does not come through God throwing down magical fairy dust on top of you and saying, now you have all discernment. It doesn't work that way. It'd be really great if it did. Actually, it wouldn't be great if it did. God's ways are actually right. We get that discernment by actually reading the word and going, okay, this is the voice of God. Continue reading, this is the voice of God. This is the voice of God, and you'll hear it. We're actually going to get into uh, another book that I've got down here on the ground, and I want to show you a little bit of difference between different interpretations of what God's word is and some dangers in that. But it's so important, just so, so important, that we know the voice of God. And he mentions this several times in, not just in the book of John and not just in these, these verses that we're reading today, that it's so important that we do actually spend time. And it, it's not a, a religious check the box, I've done this today. It's a relationship. Having a best friend means you actually spend time and share. It's not that you showed up, said certain words, and then left. That's not a best friend relationship. A best friend relationship is actually spending time and communing, reading, praying, uh, time with other believers in fellowship with Christ. It's, it's an incredible journey that God gave us to have this abundant life. But I can't stress enough how important it is that we can actually discern what is God's word and what isn't. Because if we're following the wrong voice, we'll wind up at the bottom of the cliff, defeated. Follow the right voice. Verse 15. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now Jesus willingly lays down his life for the sheep, for his children. Now we'll explore this in more detail in some subsequent verses, but just know how much he loves you, that he was not overcome by the power of men and drugged to the cross. He did it on his own volition. He did it voluntarily. If you look at Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. He didn't wait for you and for me to get our lives straightened up and to make sure everything was clean and tidy because I can't approach God because my life's a mess. He didn't wait for that. He said, while you are a sinner, I died for you. Matter of fact, he died before you were even born. For you, for me. And so many people just think, you know, I, my, my life's not really right. I'm going to work hard, you know, my own willpower, right, my own self-governance, and I'm going to get things straightened up, and then, and only then, I'll, I'll have the confidence and, and, you know, the ability maybe to approach God and, and have a relationship with God, because right now I can't because it's too dirty. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way at all. God says, while you were a sinner, I died for you. Come to me as you are. Because if we waited till we were perfect to approach God, we would never approach God because we will never be perfect. Only that peace of God that's in us, the Holy Spirit in us, becomes perfect. And we become, once we die and get our glorified bodies, new story. I'm looking forward to that one. That's going to be a great day and a great eternity. But until that time, our flesh and our spirit is at war with each other. And they're just battling each day. And we're trying and we're struggling. And that Christian life is just so impossible, and it is, but it doesn't have to be our works. It's God's works. We just rest on him. While yet we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 16, and other sheep which I have, I have which are not of this fold, them I must bring. And they will hear my voice. Once again, they will hear my voice. 
and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So there are other sheep, he mentions. Now, of course, he's talking to the Jews. And if you look back in chapter 7, and I forgot these verses in uh, Catalyst this morning. I was like, where is that? Uh, chapter 7, verse 33 through 36. If you, you can go there, turn with me if you want to. 7, 33 through 36. The Pharisees were upset at the truth of Jesus, like they are all the time in the Bible. And the crowd was surmising then that Jesus was the Messiah. And the Pharisees were like, this, this is not a good thing. So they sent officials over to basically get Jesus so they could kill him. And Jesus basically, if you read that, just told them they had no power over him. And yes, he would be killed later, not now, not because you want this right now. My time hasn't come. And what was going to happen was he was going to go somewhere. He's going to go sit at the right hand of God the Father. And they would seek him, but they would not be able to find him. And in verse 35, the Jews answered to one another, and they said, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? So the, the heart of the Jews was that this message, the message of Jesus, is not for the Greeks. It's not for the Gentiles. So for Jesus to say, I'm going to go somewhere you can't find him, like, are you going to go teach this to the Greeks? Are you crazy? They could not fathom that he was God and he was going to go to heaven and be with the Father. And that, that really shows the heart. Now, that's not where Jesus was saying he was going to go to the Greeks right at that, at that point in time. That was a preposterous idea to the Jews. However, as we know, any uh, Gentiles in here? I'll raise my hand. Thank God he did take the message to the Gentiles. And the fact that he's saying there's other sheep out there, there's, they did not fathom that that would be other Gentiles. That's exactly who that is. That's us. Those are the other sheep to bring together into one flock with one shepherd. Of course, that was prophesied in the Old Testament, yet it still remained a mystery to the Jews of that day. And if you go to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, we'll see that this mystery has been revealed. This mystery that the God of heaven, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is also the God of the Greeks, the God of the Gentiles. Yes, God is powerful enough to be the God of the entire earth. That is an awesome thing, and I'm so glad he is because... How bad would that be if we were just left out? That would be awful. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Everyone. Ephesians chapter 3, 5 and 6. This is which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it now has been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Also in Romans, I don't have probably time to read all this today, but write this down. Romans 11, 16 through 25, it talks about us as Gentiles being grafted into the olive tree. And olive tree is generally, a, it's in the Bible, a picture of the nation of Israel. We've been grafted in temporarily. It doesn't say that we've replaced the, the uh, nation of Israel. It just says, hey, they've been grafted off. Their hearts have been hardened a little bit right now, and you're in. Now's the time of the Gentiles, the time of grace, right? Until that time that the rapture comes, and I'm gone, the church is gone from the church, the church is gone from the earth, at that point in time, that's when, which is, as we read the book of Revelation, the great um, tribulation occurs. And the purpose for the great tribulation is to regraft in that natural olive branch back into the tree of the nation of Israel, to bring them back. God has not forgotten about the nation of Israel, they are still his special chosen people. And the, the main purpose 
of the tribulation is to do just that, to regraft in the nation of Israel so they see Jesus as the Messiah. And it's going to be a rough time, but there's a purpose for it. Just like rough times in our life, there's a purpose for it. So I will read verse 25 in Romans, but it says, For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. I don't know who that last person to get saved is. People are like, you know, do you accept Lord Jesus Christ? Yes, I do. Oh, goodness, I'm a Christian. Boop, that's it. He was the last one. And then we're off. He'd be a Christian for like a half a second or something. Then that was the time of the Gentiles was fulfilled. The, the number of saved people is done. The rapture happens. And then I believe shortly thereafter, it doesn't give an exact time frame, but it, shortly thereafter, the tribulation begins. And then becomes that time of grafting back in the nation of Israel. And, oh, I'm looking forward to that rapture. I really think, I don't know, I, I don't know. If anybody ever says they know when the raptures happen, they don't, because it says they don't know. I just kind of feel like it's going to happen in my lifetime. I'm really looking forward to that. Anybody else looking forward to that? Yeah, it's going to be good. All right, back to the book of John, verse 17. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. And I have the power to take it again. This command I have received from the Father. Jesus has the power to lay his life down. Those people did not drag him and, and gain power over Jesus to go crucify him on the cross. He had that power to go do that because he loves us so much. It was a choice of his. And he also has the power to take it back again. Jesus is the power of resurrection. He is the power of resurrection. He is God. And it's so completely obvious, as we read through this book, seems like every page, and I haven't gone back and checked, but it seems like literally every page, Jesus says at least once, I'm God. I am God. It might not be those quotes, but then the Jews know exactly what he's saying, and they're tearing his clothes saying, you make yourself equal with God. You're calling yourself God. So it's very, 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 very apparent that Jesus is claiming to be deity. And... I've got this book right here, and, and I don't do this to trash anybody, but I do this that if there's anybody listening that, that reads the New World Translation of the Holy Scriptures, if you are a person that says you're a Jehovah's Witness, I'm saying you're a Kingdom Hall person because you're not Jehovah's Witness, you're living a false doctrine. This is a false book written by men, inspired by the devil, and I've said it, and that's fine, because it's true. The things in this, it's really close to our Bible. But you've got to have that discernment to know the difference between Jesus' word, Jesus' voice, and the voice of Satan sometimes. And I want to go through some verses here because in this verse, it's completely apparent that Jesus says, I have the power of resurrection. I am resurrection. I am life. I am God. And those big I am statements, of which there are seven big ones in the book of John, that's a hearkening back to the Old Testament when Moses said, what do, you, what, what do I call them? What, what, what do I, what do I tell them that you are? What's your name? It's like, I am. I am that I am. It's a big word, and the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. Kingdom Hall worshipers do not believe in the Trinity. They think that the Holy Spirit is a force of the Father, not a person, not God. They believe Jesus Christ is a created being that is not God. And so they've twisted some words in this book. John 1.1, 1, 1, for example, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word became, uh, the Word was with God, and the Word was a little g God. 
speaking of Jesus. Further in chapter 10, right around verse 33, Jesus uh, is told by the Pharisees, hey, you're claiming to be God, big G God. They change it to a little g God because I think he's the archangel Michael created. But if this was written by God, there would be no errors in it. If, if God penned this and put it in the hands of men, I'm sure God was powerful enough, and he is, to make sure we had the correct word. Just, and some people have a problem with the Bible because it's like, yeah, it's been written over 3,500 years by a bunch of men and blah, 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 blah. So it, it's not the word of God. Well, stop and think. If God is who he says he is, the almighty creator of the universe, has the power to do anything and everything, do you think he could give us his word if he wanted us to have it? Yeah, yeah, not, 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 not a big ask for God, right? You think, well, what's the biggest miracle in the Bible? There's a bunch of them. I don't know, Genesis 1-1 is pretty big. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's a good one to start with. Start there. So I'm going to ask uh, them to put some verses on the screen that describe in your Bible, and it's going to be the New King James, but if you have the NIV or the ESV, that's fine. should say the same thing. That who was it that resurrected Jesus Christ? And you'll see that time and time again, it's obviously God, right? And in this book, it says the same thing, God resurrected him. But I want to show you something in this book that the translators back in the late 1800s forgot to change. And it's still there. And if it were God, he wouldn't have forgot. But we'll get there. So you can follow along on the screen. We're going to be going through them pretty quick, so they should be on the screen. Acts 2.24. Acts 2.24. So I'm going to go there. Read it on the screen. I'm going to read it out loud out of the New World Translation. You'll see that there's some, they're, they're pretty much on it for some things. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man publicly shown by God to you through powerful works and portents and signs that God did through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, this man is one delivered up by the determined counsel and the foreknowledge of God. You fastened to a stake by the hand of the lawless men and did away with. But God resurrected him by losing the pangs of death. That was in 25, or 24, excuse me. God resurrected him. So who, according to this book, said resurrected Jesus? God. Okay, we're, we're tracking. All right, let's go to Acts 5.30. I think it should be on the board. Acts 5.30. Out of the New World Translation. The God of our forefathers raised up Jesus. I don't need to read anymore. The God of our forefathers raised up Jesus. So far, okay, we're tracking. It's pretty good. So let's go on to chapter 10 of Acts and verse, got my little dog ear on there, 40. Of course, once again, talking about Jesus Christ, God raised this one up on the third day and granted him to become manifest. Okay, him God raised up, God raised up. This book says God raised Jesus Christ. Next one, 1 Corinthians 6.14. There's a lot more. We're going to go through a few of them. But there's a ton more in here. 1 Corinthians 6.14. But God both raised up the Lord and will raise us up out of death through his power. So who raised Jesus? God, according to uh, New King James and this book so far. Galatians 1.1. Great book, Galatians. Paul an apostle, neither from men nor through a man, 
but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him up from the dead. God the Father who raised him up from the dead. Time and time again, it's saying, hey, God's the one that raised it. This book claims Jesus is not God. But time and time again, it says, okay, God raised Jesus. God raised Jesus. God raised Jesus. Jesus isn't God, but God raised Jesus, the man. Ephesians 1.20. Ephesians 1.20. With which he has operated in the case of the Christ when he raised him up from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. The he being God because it's at the right hand of the heavenly places. Very, very obvious in that case right there. Now, John 10, 18. John 10, 18 in, in the New World Translation. Uh, I read this as they kind of messed up and then forgot it. But there's another one that's just a real zinger. So I'm going to go to John. Actually, let's, let's just go over to John 2, 18. John 2, 18. John 2, 18 is very, very clear. So much. You know how the Bible sometimes it will say something. And you'll read it and go, okay, what does that mean? And then the Bible says, oh, yeah, by the way, that last verse means this. Well, that's one of those ones in John 2.18. It explains itself, makes it to where there's no question at all what Jesus was saying. So let me read out of the New World Translation. This is an oopsie. The translators kind of forgot this one. If this was written by God and God was not Jesus, this would not be here. But here it is. They don't bring this up to them. They don't like this verse, but it's in their Bible. Okay, John 2, 18. This is when Jesus is talking to the Jews. And therefore, in answer, the Jews said to him, What sign have you to show us since you are doing these things? In answer, Jesus said to them, Break down this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Okay, therefore, the Jews said this temple was... Built in 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? Okay, so I guess he was talking about the temple made of hands, the temple made of stone, right? The one they go and worship at. No, it goes on to clarify, just like our Bible does. But he was talking about the temple of his body. When the temple of his, his body, when though he was raised up from the dead, his disciples called to mind that he used to say this, and they believed the scriptures and the saying that Jesus said. I'm going to repeat what it says in this book. That says time and time again, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead? God. And in verse 19, in answer them, Jesus said to them, break down this temple in three days. I will raise it up. This book is trash. This is garbage. If you are a follower of that, you're following Satan. Men make mistakes. God does not make mistakes. Do not follow that garbage. Know his voice. Read his word. And the discernment will happen. If you don't read, discernment will not happen. Like I said, it's not magical fairy dust that comes down from heaven. It's discernment from spending time with Jesus Christ and knowing him. Just like we knew Miss Kristen's voice and we knew Mr. Derek's voice. And, and some knew Lydia's voice because they'd been around these people. But if you haven't, if you're new here and never heard any of these people, you're like, who are, I don't know who these people are. I got my eyes closed and there's some stranger talking. If you spend time listening to the word of God, you'll know the voice of God. And it's that simple. So I'm saying you don't have to rip these verses apart too much. They just speak for themselves. Jesus Christ says, I'm the good shepherd, follow me. You need me. If you don't follow me, you're going to be in big trouble. Charles Taze Russell, the guy that started this movement right here, and his translators forgot something. God doesn't forget anything. They made an oopsie. It totally disproves the whole thing. If you say that's God's word, but there's that mistake. I mean, I've read through this word right here and thought, whoa, there's a contradiction. And then I studied it and thought, oh, wow, that's a really cool truth of God. It's not a contradiction at all. I was wrong. There's some really, really great examples of that. 
We don't have time to get into all this today, but if you know of any contradictions in here, oh, man, go study them because you're like, wow, that's a really cool truth of God. There are none. There are no contradictions in the Bible. This thing has stood up for so long, men have tried to disprove it. And time and time again, it doesn't happen 100% of the time because we're still sheep, right? We can't self-govern very well. But there's so many people that I know of that said, this is garbage. I'm an atheist. And these poor people of the world are following this Christian religion. I've got to enlighten them. I, I want to I put something together. I'm going to study this book. And I'm going to show them just how stupid it is. Fast forward to the future. And they're worshiping Jesus Christ because they have delved into the word. And they're like, this is true. I'm going to go disprove it. Case for Christ, C.S. Lewis, the list goes on and on of people that just like, this is garbage, I'm going to disprove it. And they come back with, this is the truth of the word of God, I better make a decision right now of who I'm going to follow. And I'm telling you, the more you, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The scripture says itself right there, you will become more faithful, you'll have better discernment just by knowing the word of God. And it's so important that we do that. That, that John 2.18 is just a zinger to me. God's not going to make a mistake like that. And, and that's not subtle. That's not subtle at all. Where Jesus says, I will raise myself from the dead. I am God. And that's a decision point that we all must come to in our lives. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus Christ? Because clearly he states that he's God. In verse 19 of John chapter 10, Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? These people thought he was crazy. They thought he was an absolute, absolute looney tune. They thought this man is calling himself God. There was no question that Jesus was saying, I am God. They thought he was crazy. Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Clearly, 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 God is saying he's God. He's Jehovah. He's the creator. The Jews wanted to kill him for blasphemy just, just because he said that. And you, you can't get around that. Jesus claims deity a lot, a whole lot. And who is he to you? Who is Jesus to you personally? Is he nobody? Is he a good teacher? A moral person, uh, nut, or is he God? Do you see that truth? C.S. Lewis, I mentioned him a moment ago. He's a former atheist who went out to prove his atheism and uh, came back a believer and wrote this book, Mere Christianity. If you have not read it, I highly recommend it. I'm a quote from his book, Mere Christianity, on who Jesus is and the choices he left us as to who he is. Quote from C.S. Lewis, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is Christ. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. So many people accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but they say he's, I don't accept his claim to be God, but he was a good, good man, good teacher. That is the one thing we must not say, still quoting C.S. Lewis. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. 
Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open for us, and he did not intend to. It's not an option. Jesus was a good man is a, is a non-sequitur. It doesn't work. Because what good man is going to tell you, I'm God? He's either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Those are your only choices. So is Jesus a liar? And I would suggest you search through history and search through the scriptures, if that's what you think, because it's a pretty important decision you have to make. Is he a lunatic on the level of a poached egg, a, a loony tune that running around thinking that he was actually God? Or is he the Lord of the universe? This is the only choices we have. That's it. There's really nothing else. Because beyond that is foolishness, quite honestly. If you have never fully accepted that Jesus is the Lord of the universe, what an excellent day to do that. I mean, tomorrow's not as good as today because things happen and we might not make it till tomorrow. And if you plan on doing it later, that's not how it works. Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you look to Jesus and say, wow, I can't, I can't, I can't do this Christian thing. I can't, I'm not perfect. God's absolutely 100% perfect. We can't even really grasp that. I mean, we can say it and we can kind of think we understand it, but perfection. To be a perfect person is from the time you were conceived to the time you take your last breath, you've never had any inkling of a thought that was bad. You've never had an, or taken an opportunity to do anything wrong, ever. And even if you lived a perfect life, except for one time for a split second, you had an evil thought. And then you were perfect, by the way, this is impossible too. For the rest of your life, you lost it. Because the difference between perfection and imperfection is basically infinite. Because perfect is perfect. And God, with his perfection, that's his standard. That's an impossible standard to be absolutely perfect all the time. So some would say, what a mean God. He sets this perfect standard that we can't meet. That's horrible bad news because we're all going to hell. That is the bad news. But there's good news. The good news is God knows that. He knows we're not perfect. So he lays down his life as a sacrifice for our sins so that if we trust in him we're saved because when God looks at me right now he doesn't see my sin he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ Christ has clothed me with his righteousness I don't deserve that I absolutely don't deserve that I'm a wretch I'm a person that tries to make my way through this life, and there's times I'm like, this Christian thing, I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and it's so hard, and, I, and I'm not good enough, and I can't, exactly right. Stop it. Okay. Jesus Christ is perfect, and he clothes me with his righteousness. Okay. All right. There you go. Well, thank you, and I'm going to really try to do better. You know, I, I still try to have willpower and do the right thing. I mean, I'm not saying just... Go sin a whole bunch because you're forgiven. Romans 6, 1. God forbid. But trusting in Christ, 
knowing that he was the propitiation, big word, propitiation for our sins, that he was a substitute for us. The fact that we can just look to Jesus and say, thank you, I am a sinner. I do not meet your standard, and you knew that and loved me so much that you willingly, for the joy, it says in Hebrews, for the joy you went to the cross. For the joy? Yes, because he loves us that much. Those sheep of his, those sheep that get into so much trouble when we wander off on our own, those sheep that you could say are just, well, look at those silly sheep going off a cliff, and you think about your own life and think, oh, yeah, I'm kind of like that too. But how valuable are those sheep that the good shepherd lays down his life? If you have never accepted Jesus Christ in your life, even if it's a life that you've lived of going to church every Sunday, if you've never just laid it down and said, you know what, I can't do it, I'm done, Jesus, you, you take it. All my burdens, they're yours. All my sins, they're yours. Because I want to live for you and trust you with my life. I would, if I were to die for your sins, I would be dead and you would still be sinful. I do not have resurrection power except for the Holy Spirit that's in me. I have that power. Remember, who's, who's in me right now is greater than he who's in the world. But me, my flesh, uh-uh, no. Fail, 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 and then a fail again. Clothed by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, victory. Victory, 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 victory. And I wish that for everyone. So if you've never given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, today is the day to do that. And it's as simple as realizing your sin, realizing that you don't meet the standard, realizing that Jesus Christ does. He's God. He laid down his life for you so that you could be with him forever. Trusting in him in that and just saying, I'm just, you're my Lord. There's a Lord and a Savior, and that's Jesus Christ. Being Savior is great, but he's also your Lord. And as a king, as your Lord, you've got to obey him. You've got to try to obey him. And that's that part sometimes that's really hard, but guess what? You will fail. I will fail. But then you first John 1, 9 it. So I'm sorry about that one. Get up. Let's do it again. And he is with you always until the ends of the age. Jesus Christ is with you as the good shepherd leading us on. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's easy. But if you're heading in the right direction, that's the direction you need to go. And I'd strive to be the type of person that Paul said he was in, in Corinthians. And he didn't say it conceitedly. He said, follow me. Get in line behind me because I'm following Christ. Christ is now at the right hand of the Father. So I'm trying to do what he's telling me to do. And if you get in behind me, we might go right and left a little bit. But we're heading in the same direction. And we're heading towards Christ. But look to Christ. Know his voice. Read his word. Spend time in prayer. Spend time in Christian community. And I'll tell you, it's a very abundant life. Pray with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you so much for everyone here. Lord, we thank you for people that you've created in this congregation, in, in this town, in this state, in this nation, all across the world, Lord, that some of them will choose you and some of them won't. But Father, we just pray today that your spirit goes out and convicts our hearts, convicts our hearts of our sin and and leads us right to you. As we look at the law and say, I can't do this. It's, it's a, our taskmaster. I'm just not able. But I don't have to because you've already defeated death. And Lord, I trust you. 
I trust that you died for my sins. I trust that you were dead and that you were dead and buried for three days and then you rose from the grave because you are resurrection power, defeating death, showing us that you are God and that you do have the will and the power to hold our souls forever. And Lord, I pray that if anyone has never done that, just never laid down their life, that today is the day that they pray that prayer and mean it in their heart. And Lord, I pray that you just fill them with the Holy Spirit, because I know you will, because it says you will in your word, and just lead them and give them that desire to get into your word and hear your voice and follow you all of your days. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.